Hello and welcome to our first techpros.io interview series where we ask enterprise professionals to share their thoughts and experiences on emerging business trends. These are typically driven by technology innovation, changes in customer behavior, regulation and other market disruptions. This first series, Brand versus Demand Activation, explores the strategies B2B marketing leaders are taking to engage buyers in today's content-rich world where meetings for the most part remain virtual. We explore the balance of spend between short-term sales lead generation and longer-term brand investments, the gradual merging of B2B and B2C, and the growing importance of fostering community with buyers. Today's interview is sponsored by Network Sunday, a business-to-human marketing agency in the UK which opens doors to the C-suite and accelerates business development for leading enterprise brands such as BT, Tantar, HCL and Mindtree, all who sell high-value solutions to buyers in lengthy, unpredictable decision-making processes. Today's interview is with Tamika Vasquez. Tamika is the head of marketing at Sidewalk Labs, who are an urban innovation company that tackles city's greatest challenges. They create products and solutions, invest in new companies, and help developers build more sustainable, innovative, and equitable places around the world. You can find Tamika at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Tamika Vasquez. Tamika is spelt T-A-M-E-K-A, Vasquez, V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z. In her interview, Tamika talks about avoiding the cyclical trap of demand generation, where it's all about pushing products and services. She stresses the importance of activating impactful storytelling to educate decision makers and believes the brand should be the nucleus that everything orbits around, including demand generation programs. We hope you find the interview valuable. B2B marketers are really under pressure to deliver a constant stream of leads to sales. And that meant, means that most spend is invested in that sort of demand activation. However, research from LinkedIn concludes that only 4% of B2B marketing teams are really measuring the impact beyond six months. And leading market strategists say this should change. Do you agree? I completely agree. I do think that you know, we do kind of fall under pressure a lot to just kind of keep that demand engine running. And I think that we're doing a disservice by way of the true power of this profession, I think is sometimes you create impact that is left to be seen, you know, for a year, two years, three years, who knows? So I think we do a disservice to ourselves while we're under that pressure by not looking at the long tail impact of the programs that we're running, of the campaigns that we're running. I think we could do a lot more to just try to figure out like, how do we not let things go stale? How do we not let leads go stale? How do we ensure that there is kind of an ongoing rhythm for leads that have been generated and for conversations that have fallen short, let's say of their fullest potential, let's say they did not convert into a viable business opportunity. There's always an opportunity to revisit, you know, a lot of the times Things are just not the right time. You know, it's just not the right time for them to engage you on something or they're not necessarily in a position of decision-making influence. Maybe their job title suggests that they are, but within the hierarchy and the politics of their own organization, they might not have that, that power. So I think just kind of keeping tabs on 
leads that are generated, how they're evolving, how they're converting into viable business opportunities is critical. And oftentimes you don't see that in a six month span. Sometimes it may take a year. Whilst demand activation is critically important when buyers are in the market to make a purchase, a lot of buyers aren't. Les Binet and Peter Field talked about brand marketing will secure future sales, which are more important than short-term sales for two reasons. Um, saying that businesses are, value, are valued based on future sales. And there are many more buyers out of market than in market. And today there might be only 20 accounts looking to buy cloud computing. So going back to your point, it might not be the right time. And over the next three years, there could be 200 accounts up for grabs. And brand building will ensure your brand gets into those 200 consideration sets. What's your response to that? And does it change your view on the balance of your marketing investment between brand and demand activation? It's a great question because there is a delicate balance, I would say, between brand and demand generation. I think the key opportunity that I've always identified is in storytelling. And I think when you're really digging into the brand and the brand story and the brand's purpose and sort of how the brand wants to show up in the world and how it wants to resonate with a variety of consumers, you have more opportunities for storytelling. And I think that in and of itself feeds a demand generation engine just by having something good to say, something that's relevant, uh, something that is sensitive to the time that we're in. So, you know, I think it's critical to have kind of the brand be the nucleus that everything else sort of orbits around. When you try to do it in reverse, I think sometimes by starting with demand generation, you can sometimes fall victim to, you know, what do we want to sell? What are the capabilities? What are the products? We, we very quickly default to what do we need to sell? And sometimes that is at the sacrifice of, well, how do we want to actually show up in the world? And I think, I don't think it's an either or scenario. I think it's just a matter of, you know, really thinking about the nature of your buyers and just sort of thinking about what they're tasked with and what they typically would care about and what companies they would want to partner with. If you're in a B2B context, or if you're in a B2C context, what companies do they want to be affiliated with? Right. And when you start to think about things from their perspective, I think it offers you a good opportunity to step away from the sales as usual, business as usual kind of rhythm. It allows you to step into a space of storytelling, into a space of education, into a space of influence. And as long as you can align who you are as a business with what you provide, then you're in great shape, right? And then you have both the demand and the brand kind of channels running simultaneously. Now, if what you do and who you claim to be are inconsistent, then that provides you an opportunity to just go back to the drawing board a bit and try to figure out how do we want to show up? What, what is the future of our space? And are we well poised to be seen as leaders in that space? You know, And if you're not, again, that, that inadvertently will backfire down the road when you look at your demand generation opportunities because you know people are far more educated, people are far more exposed. You have businesses and individuals alike that just have more information than they had in the past. And so they have the wherewithal to make informed decisions pretty much on their own. So the only thing you can really add to that is an element of leadership and to add an element of influence and education that they may be missing or they may be unaware of. And the best brand ultimately wins in that scenario because you practice what you preach, you show up in the world in a way that engenders trust 
you know, you offer an experience that is unlike another. So I really see brand and demand generation being in lockstep with each other when done correctly. I don't think it's an either or scenario, but I think for those who have not been able to get a consistent view on their brand as it pertains to the services or the products that they're providing for those types of companies, I think you might want to start shifting some more attention to that brand and that brand story. Next question is really around sales and marketing. And some marketers still or very much view their role as a support function to the sales team, in most cases are looking for immediate opportunities to meet those sales targets. When it comes to yourself, what's your view on the importance of that separate reporting line for marketing to the CEO to avoid any potential conflicts of interest between an arguably shorter term view? of the sales function and the longer term view of the CEO board shareholders? I think we'll continue to be uh, up for debate. What I will say is that I am motivated by companies that are starting to look at building out functions around like the chief brand officer, the chief experience officer, you know, the chief growth officer. We have all of these new job titles and all of these new functional areas that I'm happy and motivated that companies are starting to recognize that these individual spaces are critical and need to be looked at by, you know, a leader. That being said, what I find ironic about that is that all of those functions inherently live within the marketing organization. So when you think about, you know, how do we grow as a business in terms of expansion, in terms of acquisitions, in terms of you know, how do we develop new products and services? When you think about brand, you're thinking about how do we create more trust? How do we improve our reputation? You know, how do we solidify who we are in a market? When you think about experience, it's, you know, if you have users or you have customers, it's how do we just create a better experience for all of those people? How do we get more insights? How do we deepen our analytics and our understanding of the things that they expect from us? So when you look at all of those kinds of scenarios, the marketer is inherently already doing those things probably doesn't have the privilege of being able to drill into just one or two of those areas exclusively, but they're effectively solving for a lot of those questions. And that's why I think that, you know, marketing has to continue to have its own space. Marketing has to continue to be seen as not necessarily a a support structure under sales, but a parallel, you know, all salespeople are technically doing some form of marketing and all marketing people are technically doing some form of sales. It's just a matter of, you know, what are we held responsible for when all is said and done, but what we're driving towards and the things that we're principally uh, concerned about are largely the same. So I would always advocate, you know, for marketing to get the spotlight that it's owed just by virtue of the things that we're helping to solve for, for these businesses. And then as these businesses start to expand into, you know, developing departments that focus on experience, developing departments that focus on brand, other departments that focus on growth, effectively, that becomes the perfect scenario, I think, for any marketer, because now you have people who can speak your language, you know, and drill into specific areas that you just have this bird's eye view on, but you might not be able to spend a considerable amount of time while you're trying to generate demand and working on those areas at the same time. One other thing I'm thinking about is like, I also think it's taken for granted oftentimes how much marketing understands the customer and how much marketing is just very 
intimately aligned to the changing needs of customers, but also the changing sentiments of customers. I think that's something that's very much taken for granted. And I would hope to see, you know, as organizations continue to try to figure out how to bridge gaps that may exist between sales and marketing, I hope they see that as like one of the areas where, you know, if you look at it from a Venn diagram perspective, it's the area that lives in the middle is that customer, is the consumer. You know, if you're in the B2C world, it's the consumer. If you're in the B2B world, it's the client, it's the customer. When you look at that center of that Venn diagram, you know, sales is out there talking to these folks all the time. Sales is out there making these deals happen. Marketing is out there with open ears, listening to everything that's going on, not only with those individual people that may be clients, but also the wider market in which they live and what is happening there that we need to be responsive to. You know, what's happening there where we can show up a little stronger or offer a little bit more. Like marketing has a lot of those insights. And I think sometimes that's just taken for granted. So I would prefer um, organizations where marketing and sales are sort of equals as opposed to one falling under the other. The next question is really around brand marketing. And it could be described as the following, sort of creating more awareness and share of mind in the marketplace, creating experiences which activate emotive and sensory journeys that cultivate human connections and relationships and be the brand that that people think of first when they're ready to buy. When it comes to sort of bringing that to life and creating the marketing initiatives, can you think of anything or is there anything you're currently running or have done which sort of aims to deliver on those outcomes? Yeah, I think a lot of the times it really just comes down to you understanding the ecosystem that lives around that company. So, you know, I think when I think about brand activations, brand initiatives, things that are very oriented in kind of establishing the company in a very specific way, I default to, you know, what is the ecosystem around that? So the ecosystem would include internally, you know, who are the people that are principally important to drive this mission forward. So that's your leadership, you know, particularly within sales, data, information, technology, the product or folks that are actually working to develop, you know, some sort of offering. You think about all that just internally at a company. Those are typically, you know, your starting points because ultimately they have to align to that. They have to understand it. They have to believe it. You know, if you're going to put out this message about your business and position the brand a certain way, It really starts with kind of creating internal cheerleaders, if you will. So that's kind of how I would start. And then outside of that, it's just the wider ecosystem is everything around you by way of your clients, you know, your vendors, any partners that you're working with. You know, it's important to understand all of those things. And that may also even include competitors in a certain way, because I think just understanding that oftentimes it's not about, you know, let me steal your lunch money. A lot of the times it's really just, how do we continue to do what we do, but establish our own lanes, right? So of course you want to steal clients away wherever possible. You want to take business wherever possible. You want to displace your competitors wherever possible. But I think more and more these days, because there are so many products and services in any industry you can think of, there's an overabundance of offerings. I think it becomes important to also understand, you know, not just how do you beat out your competitor, but how do you just look fundamentally different from them? And so I think understanding that ecosystem is critical, starting internally, then looking externally to say, how do we communicate this message about who we are, who we want to be, what we're trending towards, what the future of our space is, why we're investing in the areas that we are, 
Do we align to a broader purpose beyond just selling what we're selling? You know, are we aligned to any community initiatives? Do we have a social impact lens in what we do? I think all of those things are so important because again, it offers you an ecosystem. It offers you a broader universe by which that brand can come alive. I think where a lot of brands may fall short is when the brand is only aligned to what you sell. That's it. If it's not bigger than that, it's not more purposeful than that. I think it just kind of limits the things that you can engage that wider ecosystem around or excite them about, you know? So I think that's where at least I've seen a bit of success in companies just, you know, trying to create a better story of who they are and how they want to show up in the world beyond what they sell. And I think I already said that earlier, but it's just critical for any brand launch, any rebranding that is happening. Anything that's happening in the realm of brand, I think requires that there's a broader understanding of who needs to believe in this, who needs to be a cheerleader of this, who's going to take this message forward, and how is it distinctly different so that people actually remember it. When you put an initiative and a program together that to achieve all of those outcomes, how do you go about measuring it? Yeah, I mean, this is always the challenging part, but very, very important. So I think it's important to, going back to this notion of an ecosystem, it's important to conceptualize, like, how do you want to measure each part of that almost separately? Because just saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to launch this brand initiative where I'm going to rebrand ourselves. We're going to get out there. You know, we're going to focus on driving people in this direction or whatever. It's hard to then say holistically has this actually paid off in X amount of time? So, you know, in six months time or in a year's time, how do you know this is paying off? I think it's important to look at that ecosystem and to just try to figure out like, how do we measure each of these areas separately? So for example, if you were to start internally, you know, it is important to see how well it resonates and how much it's being used. So if you are producing collaterals, you know, if you're producing materials, content, things that you want your salespeople to use, and they're not using it, you know, that's a very anecdotal way of seeing, is this something that's actually resonating with these folks? You know, is this something that they actually believe in? Because if they did, and if they very quickly aligned to it, they would use it. It's very natural to react that way. So just kind of starting internally with understanding, like, is this resonating? Have you talked about it? Have you been socializing our brands? You know, how have this, how have you been able to weave this into your existing conversations? That's a quick anecdotal set of data points that you can capture. Then when you look externally, I think that's when you want to start capturing things like, you know, uh, just any feedback, you know, if you can do any sort of polling, if you can get together your strategic clients, you know, your quote unquote, most important clients, right? I think everybody's important, but ultimately the ones that are, have been with you the longest, have seen you, you know, down your journey, are spending the most money with you ultimately, Mm -hmm. right? You want to gather those folks together and get very, tangible feedback from them in terms of, you know, how would you review this? You know, how well does this resonate with you? Are you engaged with this? Do you think that this positions us for growth? Would you want to continue being with us on this journey? So kind of getting an understanding of like, you know, kind of capturing those kind of reviews, if you will, you know, think of it as like Yelp, but like, you know, more customized and personalized than that. Getting that feedback is important. I would also say, being able to measure it over time is also important. So if you can do some sort of, you know, sentiment analysis, you get a sense of, you know, how this is performing or resonating with people today. And then you do the same thing in six months time, you do the same thing in a year, in five years, you know, I'm hoping that 
if you're going to go down the path of creating a brand profile and creating this sort of mission and vision and purpose, if you're going to do that amount of work, I would hope it's for the long term. So you have opportunity at that point, I think, to measure that sentiment year over year. So this is not meant to be sort of a one-time exercise, right? I would also say, I'm just thinking about like, you know, the many ways that you would communicate this. You have email, you have digital marketing, you have events, you have you know, your partnerships, you have all of these ways where the brand is coming alive and where you're getting more deeply involved. So I would say, you know, just paying attention to all of those points, because all of those points have different ways of measuring, you know, what's working and what's not, whether it's driving more traffic, stronger traffic, more quality traffic to your website, you know, whether that's fostering more interactions between the brands and the consumers, whether that's seeing how likely people are to recommend you know, you as a preferred partner or you as a preferred vendor to other people who may be in their network to like-minded potential customers. Like these are all ways that I think you can really look at, you know, is this working? Like you can look at building out more interactive content and seeing how that performs across things like social media. You know, does it drive user engagement? Have you seen an uptick in activities surrounding your products or services ever since this launch happened. So, you know, these are all ways, like it's never going to be a one size fits all. It's never going to be um, a simple metric. It's going to be a very contextual metric or set of metrics, but I think it's absolutely worth looking at all of those pieces and not really taking any of those pieces for granted. It's just as important that you are succeeding internally as it is that you're succeeding externally. So that's just a quick way I would look at it. Anthony Canada, the founding CMO of Gainsight, the company that created customer success movement, has a deep belief that the worlds of B2B and B2C marketing are converging and ushering in a new era for business that must focus on the humans that sit behind the logos that we're all targeting. And he refers this as to business to human marketing. And he goes on to say that the brand in B2B is rapidly moving from a deprioritized expense and distraction from growth to the heart of business strategy. Do you agree with that? For the most part, I do agree with that. I think a lot of that has been seen through the course of COVID, for example. You know, if it wasn't seen before, I think it was particularly seen during the past year, simply because when you are in a B2B setting, and I've been in B2B marketing for going on 11 years at this point, you are very often speaking in very mechanical ways. And I don't think it's something that we do on purpose. I think it's something that's just by nature of thinking, okay, I'm an institution selling to another institution. So you're not necessarily, you know, in a space all of the time of drilling into who's actually sitting on the other side. You know, who are those individual people? What might be some things that relate to them? What might be some things that they might like? You know, you're not always in that space. Oftentimes it's, I'm selling to this industry So what is the industry going through? What is this sector dealing with right now? You know, you may very well drill into regions. So you may say, okay, this means, you know, this is happening in this region of the world within this sector, or this this sector is largely shifting because of changes that are happening in these regions. So you are almost forced to look at things in larger and larger blocks. And I think that through the course of COVID, and again, if this was not already seen, it was seen during COVID, you know, you got into a space where it's not only that businesses were challenged and it's not only that, you know, sectors and industries were challenged. It's that individual people were massively challenged. 
and the ways that they were able to navigate, you know, such a ridiculous amount of change simultaneously, I think forced a lot of businesses to start having those one-to-one conversations. Firstly, to just ask, how are you doing? You know, how are you coping through all of this stuff? What has been a primary concern for you? And I think these conversations happen anyway, but I think we get so caught up in this need to scale and this need to, you know, speak to the widest audience possible that I think it often does come at the sacrifice of speaking to one, marketing to one. And I think, you know, I I personally do have the philosophy that if you're marketing to one, you're naturally marketing to many because there are many that are going to fit that profile. There are many that are going to have similar concerns. There are many who are going to have similar pain points. And in speaking to that one person, you effectively are speaking to a lot of people. And I think us trying to do that backwards and speaking to a wide audience, hoping that it connects with one may work in some contexts. But I think more and more as the world is becoming much more volatile, at least visually, you know, we can all see that it's becoming more volatile. I think that's that conversation starting to shift away from, hey, let me stand on a mountaintop and broadcast to whoever's listening. And now I think it's actually starting from the ground and saying, all right, how do I just hold your hand, take you up that mountain with me? And then we could collectively shout from the mountaintop and attract people that are just like you. So I am inclined to agree with uh, what the executive from Gainsight said. And then the sort of final question really is around the key principle underlying B to um, business to human marketing is defining the narrative in service to the individuals rather the companies they work for, which is something you've just alluded to, helping them solve the problems, meet peers and mentors through sort of engaging content events. And Anthony sort of also said that their thought leadership helped align Gainsight with the movement they were creating in customer success. So content that drove organic traffic and the community became a platform for the industry to connect together and promote that category. Um, And not only were these investments good for new business, they helped with funding, customer satisfaction, recruitment and retention. When you look at that approach taken there, do you think that this approach, are you applying that approach in your own organisation? Do you think it's one that would work in terms of where you sit within the industry? In some ways, yes. I think one thing, if you look at like companies that let's say are in the consumer world and they have a lot of promotions, I think what often happens is that you focus all of the promotions on new people that you're trying to attract. So you sort of use that as the bait, you know, to get people to sign up for something or to try something, you know, you pilot things with your new clients, you give all the promotions to your new clients. And I think it's interesting to me how, you know, how much, if we did the same things for the folks who have been with us, you know, for a while, or the folks that have trusted us and trusted our business, you know, for some time now, if we applied the same principles that we do for new clients to our existing clients, I think that would go a really long way for a lot of companies because, you know, I don't think any of us are in a space to take anybody for granted, certainly not anymore in a world of, you know, digital interaction, in a world of access. I don't think we can ever really take people for granted the ways that maybe we did in the past. There isn't as much dependency, you know, in a world where things are shifting towards more subscription models, for instance, like people are very quick to uh, unsubscribe, if you will, to things that they're no longer feeling engaged with. So as we get closer and closer into, you know, a world of choice and a world of flexibility and a world of access, I think we need to really consider how do we treat 
our existing customers and clients the same way that we treat the new folks that we're trying to attract and we're trying to bring in. How do we keep reinforcing the messages with the people that are already with us the same way we try to use, you know, buzzy language to really stick, uh, you know, or capture people that we're hoping to bring in. So it's the same concept because it's, it's just, I think what I'm realizing in your question is like, there's so much opportunity for us to not necessarily segment the way we had historically where, okay, here are all the new people, here are all the existing people, here are our legacy people, right? People who've been with us for a long time. I think now it probably offers us opportunity to look at all of those as equal playing fields. So the same way I try to lure you in, capture you, uh, keep your attention, keep you happy, keep you excited about new things that I'm working on, new things that we're investing in, it's the same way I have to keep the person that's been with me for some time. So I, I see that as kind of a critical opportunity. We do just in terms of my actual role, we do spend a lot of time looking at account-based marketing initiatives as an example, looking to see like, how do we just really create a great dynamic between us and our existing customers? How do we just keep them on their toes, give them things to think about? You know, How do we just keep them engaged? And I think account-based marketing is one of the channels by which we've been able to do that. And, you know, still learning a lot, still piloting things, still thinking through new strategies on how to do this. But I think that's one way that, you know, any company could invest in doing account-based marketing as an example to give their existing clients the same treatment as the new people they're trying to attract. So, you know, those are some snippets of things that I'm sort of thinking, but I think it's such a great question. And I think it's such a great bit of consideration, I think, for, for marketers. Thanks for listening to this techpros.io series, sponsored by Network Sunday, a leading UK business-to-human marketing agency. To learn more about TechPros and our programs, visit techpros.io or to read the ebook associated with the series, which features our podcast guests and other leaders, please visit techpros.io forward slash thought hyphen leadership forward slash marketing, which can also be found in the show notes below.